0: Welcome to the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, we are so glad you're here. I'm Rick Burgess, co-host of the Rick and Bubba show. That's the day job. That's why we're in these studios. These are the studios of the Rick and Bubba show. If you happen to be watching this, uh, if you're listening to it, know that's where we are. Uh, I'm also the director of themanchurch.com. That is a men's discipleship strategy hub where you can go for all sorts of resources to reach and disciple men. Uh, we provide speakers that go out and teach and uh, we do services, we do conferences uh, but what we provide that many many uh, you know ministries before us just didn't seem to provide and, and these are curriculum resources to actually get in small groups uh, and, and leave spiritual infancy and to be discipled and grow and what we say at themanchurch.com if you disciple men you change everything. The influence that God gives gave to the male, it cannot be duplicated. Uh, So it either is a detriment uh, to society, the church, or the family, or it can be an asset and a blessing if men uh, will submit to the authority of Christ and be transformed by abiding in him. So all those resources can be found at themanchurch.com. We also are doing two conferences in 2024, February 16th and 17th. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Robbie Gallaty will be there. He's in our guest slot. And then some of the guys from our team. Uh, Rich Wingo will be speaking. I'll be speaking. And Andy Blanks will be speaking. Chuck Hooten uh, will be leading worship. And we'll be introducing all of the new resources that are coming out in 2024, uh, which includes another 31-day devotional individual resource and another 40-week curriculum. Uh, then Starkville, Mississippi, coming up on March 8th and 9th uh, at Mississippi State University. Uh, James Span we'll be speaking there. Scott Dawson will be speaking there. I'll be speaking, and Andy Blanks as well. Chuck Cooten leading worship there. And another opportunity for the men that come to that to see the new resources we will be launching. You can network with other churches that are doing our strategy. So both of those dates are available. Tickets are moving very quickly. So do not put this off. Go to themanchurch.com. You can go to both conferences, or you can pick the one that works best for you. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. Today we'll be in the Revelation. Uh, We've been studying the Revelation, if you're joining us for the first time. We're almost to the end, uh, gentlemen. We are in Chapter 21. Today, uh, our effort will be to go from verse 9 uh, through verse 21. Uh, if time allows, that's what we're going to try to get done today. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, may your Holy Spirit discern your powerful holy word as we see this, this, the future. We see the future, uh, we, we see the future uh, and uh, it, it should give us great hope. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. You know, it's one of the things we're, we're talking about in, in, our, in our personal lives. You know, my, my wife and I many times will talk about when difficulty is in front of us, but we know if we can get to the other side, uh, it's actually going to be better and we we've had a number of those things in our life we got some we're doing right now and we will actually say which is interesting since we're we're pre-trib people uh but we will actually say look we're gonna have to go through the tribulation but when we get to the new heaven new earth it's gonna be worth it uh there there is difficulty and i guess for the even uh for some of us uh, as um uh, we have all said, or, or maybe the way that we get into the presence of the Lord and all this garbage is over, it might be through our earthly death. And if you're redeemed, you shouldn't be afraid to die, but it's okay to go, I'm not crazy about dying. Uh, so the process of that can actually be nothing to look forward to. So so there, there, there always is, um, you know, there, there's the hope, though, no matter what what's happening in the world in which we live, for the redeemed, the book of, of Revelation is actually great news. It is great news. You've heard me say throughout this study, it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. When you're looking and you see things going on, stop acting like you're surprised. Stop acting like you're anxious. Stop acting like you're fearful. It's okay to not be crazy about difficult things. I mean, that's, that's fine. Uh, if, if, if you love difficult things, you almost become kind of a masochist. But, but, but I will say this uh, is, is what we need to concentrate on is what is to come. If you're trying to build heaven here on earth, then you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. All right, so some, one of the things that we we know we locked in on when we got to 21, after the millennial reign, now all those that oppose uh, Christ, all those that are rebellious have been uh, done away with. We now are in our glorified bodies, which means we no longer fight uh, the desires of our sin And one of the things we wanted to really lock in on last week was that Jesus Christ, John sees him, John hears him, he's even reminded by Jesus, write that down, is that he is making all, and I told you all to underline that two to three times. I'd go with three. I make all things new. That means he doesn't make some things new. He makes all things new. The old has passed away. This is a new heaven. This is a new earth and today we will see its capital city the new Jerusalem. So it is not any of the Jerusalems before. This is a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem like has never been seen. So so as 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 we look at that and as I scanned uh, the room here I see Mike over there who who almost got trapped in the the current Jerusalem. Uh when uh, he was with a group that was over there when the attacks on Israel started we're so glad you got out praise God for that. And, and the way you got out was miraculous and supernatural. So uh, God, God still hears prayers. So, so I want you to, uh, if you get a, a chance right now to flip over, let's go to the Gospel of John. John's telling us this, but I want to go over to the Gospel of John. And I want to start uh, today's Bible study uh, in John 14 because Jesus is, is here. Uh, John is writing down what Jesus is teaching And here's what Jesus says to the point that I just made in John 14, verses 1 through through 3. This is Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And here's what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'll say that again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I would uh, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, and I and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know where I am going. So this is Jesus talking about what John is now about to see. I'm going to build the New Jerusalem. And, and and I'm going to do that, and if that wasn't so, I would have not told you this. I'm, I mean, have y'all seen me lie about anything? I'm not telling you this for any other reason than it's really going to happen. So if you believe it's really going to happen, he says, believe in God, believe also in me, what should be the result of true belief? Let not your heart be troubled. There's nothing that makes people wonder if we believe in God more than we when we freak out just like everybody else. And then people look at everyone and go, well, it doesn't seem like they have anything I don't have. I'm freaking out. They're freaking out. I'm anxious. They're anxious. I'm poor, poor, pitiful me. Oh, no, it's it's all going to be horrible, and so are they. So why do I need what they have? It doesn't look like it's accomplishing anything. So, so what Jesus says, if you believe in God and you believe in me, then you know that I'm going to prepare a better place because I told you I was going to. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come back. I am going to do this, and since you know that, then don't let your heart be troubled. And now John is actually seeing uh, when this actually takes place. God is going to live with his people forever. The present heaven we have now, God dwells there with the holy angels and and the redeemed uh, where they go when they die, but he is not with all of us. But when this comes, all the redeemed will be with him. Uh, the place that the Lord has prepared will descend in its eternal state, the capital city of the new heaven and of the new earth, New Jerusalem. Time will be no more. We, we will no longer be be confined by time. Think about this moment. Think about the truth of what John is saying. History is ended. What time is it? Who cares? There is there, time. Time's over. It's eternal. There's no more of that clicking going, whoop, whoop, getting closer to dying, getting closer to dying, getting closer to dying. None of that. Uh, and uh, your Apple Watch is not going to be uh, uh, much use to you. And nobody's going to give a rip how many steps you take. Uh, so uh, so anyway, uh, so here let's look now first at what John sees in verses 9 through 11. That's kind of the general appearance of, of the new Jerusalem. Here we go in verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. All right, so John lets us know, you remember those angels I told you about that were taking the bowls out and they were dumping out all it's one of those. Now he didn't tell us which one it is, but he says it is one of those. So these one of these angels I saw handing out the the plagues and and pouring out God's wrath on the earth, one of those seven is the one that's talking to me about this. Okay, so we know that. We know who the messenger is. Uh, the angel is 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 sort of identified as one of the seven, but we don't know which one uh, that handed out. So the angel says to John, look what he says next, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So first thing the, uh, the angel says to John, come here, and, and I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, what does he mean by the bride? That's the new Jerusalem. Why? Due to the ones who now occupy it. That, that's how it became the bride the church is in there so so that that's why it's called don't don't hear this angel saying well the New Jerusalem's the bride when you go well, I thought the church was the bride well it is the bride because the church is in it it's 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 called the bride because of who occupies New Jerusalem so that that's important so you don't get confused there uh and uh, and of course we know that is the name given to the church and and it in, includes now the reason why he's calling New Jerusalem the bride is who also is in in New Jerusalem those that were redeemed before the new covenant. So as opposed to it just being the church, now all who've been redeemed in the old and new covenant, they're all there. Okay. So, so that all becomes one bride now. Uh, and, uh, and, and that means for, for all ages. Now the new Jerusalem is likened to a bride also because you know, the redeemed are forever united to God as a bride to the bridegroom. Uh, and, and, and the lamb or uh, you know the god and the lamb now have the bride it it is further destined uh as the wife uh, of the lamb because what because the 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 whole the whole marriage that we went through through the other parts of the revelation that has taken place back in revelation 19 verse 7 we see the marriage has taken place so now when he says hey john i want you to see the bride the reason why it's now officially the bride is the marriage has already happened so this this is the 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 marriage of the of the bride, the church, and then now all the redeemed to the lamb to God. So that's why that that's what the why he's using this language. Now you're gonna it's gonna be really cool because John is gonna get a personal tour uh, of heaven's capital. He's gonna be carried away in the spirit. Look at this, uh, verse ten, and he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So now you you see John carried away in the Spirit. Now, he's been spiritually taken away from Patmos. Uh, now, don't ever think that John is being shown dreams. He has physically, in the Spirit, he has been taken away. Uh, to him right now, he's not even on Patmos anymore. Because he's been taken into this, this new heaven and this new earth. It's very similar, and we're going to study this next. The next Bible study we'll do in here will be 2 Corinthians. If you want somebody actually emailed me today, say, Have you already done 1 Corinthians? And we have. If you, you want to go back and catch that archive, you can. But 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, if you remember this, because this is Paul will even say this is why he was given the thorn in his flesh that God wouldn't take away is he said, because he was taken in the Spirit into the third heaven. So so Paul got to see it, too. Uh, and 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 so he said, um, I was taken away in the Spirit. So this was not a dream that Paul had, the, and this is not a dream that John's having. These are spiritual realities. They, they have been taken by the Holy Spirit in the Spirit, and they see how it will be. And the first stop is a great high mountain, Uh you know, we we figure that uh, the angel took uh, John to a high mountain for a vantage point, really, to show show John the holy city Jerusalem. Now John repeats, um, you know, uh, this to to kind of drive this home. Uh, he keeps saying, he said, I was carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and and, and then he he starts talking about what it looks like, and he he wants to emphasize. Uh, its divine origin uh, as he keeps looking at The New Jerusalem came down out of heaven from God. He keeps emphasizing that. He wants us to know because what you're about to see is the thing that is most wonderful about the New Jerusalem is the glory of God. He's saying this came from heaven. This was made by our Lord in heaven, and, and as it comes down, what I'm seeing can be best described as the glory of God. Uh, and it's unencumbered. Can you imagine? So so John says that it came down from heaven. Uh, If you want to see uh, him emphasizing the divine origin of the new Jerusalem, he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this new Jerusalem that I see, that I heard Jesus talking about when I was with him. Uh, That's what we read in John 14. John is, is saying, I know who the architect of this is, And the builder's God. I know it. And if you want to reference that, go look at the writer of Hebrews. In in Hebrews 11, verse 10, the writer of Hebrews is talking about this as well. So what is the most distinguishing characteristic of the capital city? Well, you're going to find that's going to be the throne of the eternal Almighty One. Therefore, what it is, it is the hub now for the glory of God. Can you imagine? What does he say right here? Look at verse 11. Having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. So he he is saying what I see here is the glory. I see the glory of God. It will reach, when we get to see the new Jerusalem and we get to see the glory of God, what John wants us to know I mean, picture him, the aged apostle is seeing all this he was told about. And you remember he's already been told throughout this revelation, this really is gonna happen, John. It really is gonna happen. And remember he just he, remember how emotional he got when he just, he just fell on his he just fell on his face and the angel said, Now get up, now don't worship me just because I'm giving you good news. This really is going to happen. Imagine how this feels. Look up over in the Gospel of John again. Go to John seventeen now. Let's go to John 17. John 17 and look at uh, what Jesus is saying in verse 24 of the Gospel of John. This, of course, is the high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Father, let them see my glory. Let them be with me. See, sometimes people think, well, is Jesus talking about right then? That's not what he's talking about right then. Jesus is about to go. And he's saying he wants them to be overcomers. He wants them to be looked after by his Father. He knows the hell that is going to be before them as his followers. He knows the persecution that is coming, and he keeps saying, Lord, get them to that day where they'll finally see my glory. Father, be sure they are there to see my glory. And you know what John is saying? You're going to see his glory. You're going to see it, and how about this? it will be expressed in the fullest. It has not been. When Jesus was there and he took on human flesh, he was the glory of God, but it was not in the fullest. He even said that. They lowered himself from from his glory for this particular task. But here, all that's over. And so the fullest expression of God's glory, it will be unlimited, it will be unconfined, flashing from that city throughout the entire recreated universe. The glory of God is the sum total of all his attributes. Now, I want you to imagine that for a minute. Think about all the things that are said about God. Can you imagine seeing them all at the same time? (laughs) So whatever you think you know about God and whatever you think you may have experienced, you ain't seen nothing yet. It kind of reminds me the way we are right now. We keep looking to this, and we we have these experiences, and they're great experiences. It reminds me, and remember, we went through the Gospel of John. We studied it. It was one of my favorite moments when, 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 when Jesus is talking to Nathanael. And, you know, Nathanael was a devoted Hebrew. As a matter of fact, what did Jesus say? Now, there's an Israelite. There, there's, there's the real deal. There's no Jacob in him. There's no deception in him. And, of course, he says, so you believed in me just because I told you that I saw you over there under the tree and I knew what you were thinking. That was all you needed to believe that I am who I am. He said, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see things greater than that. That's what he's telling us about what's ahead for the redeemed. Oh, you, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen my glory unconfined you haven't seen all my attributes flowing at the same time. Incredible. So how about this? The glory of God will no longer be rejected by disobedient, rebellious people because they're all gone. So we, we talked about this even uh, on the on the day job today. Why have the Hebrews been through so much trouble? Because they keep rejecting the glory of God. They rejected the glory of God in, in the Old Testament. Every time they would do it, what would happen? Punishment, refinement. When Jesus came and said, I'm now the glory of God, what did they do? Rejected him. What do you do? Cry and say, This is just going to bring destruction on you. So now this rejecting God's glory, it's over. The only people there now, they don't reject it anymore. It's the redeemed, Hebrew and Gentile, for all ages. And now the redeemed, That when his glory comes now, they won't be anybody rejecting it. Everybody say, bring it on. We'll take all you got. We love you. We're devoted to you. We're redeemed. We're glorified. And and so this is going to be something that, that has never happened before and nothing like anyone has ever seen. Uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, talks about this. If you want to cross-reference that, go to Isaiah. Uh, let's go to chapter 60. Uh, of Isaiah, and we're going to look at verse 19, because this is what, what when, when, when Isaiah s- sees this prophecy, what is it? It's the future glory of Israel. So look at verse 19, what, what is said about what we just read. The sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and, and your God will be your glory. Isaiah sees this. Hey, day's coming, we're not going to need the sun and the moon anymore. And when we come back next week and finish 21, you're going to see John clearly say, Don't need the sun and moon anymore. We got all the light we can we got all the light we can take. Darkness is over. And, and so he John is going to note, and this is important because this is where sometimes words change, you got to be careful here. John notes the brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now I know sometimes you think about that and go, I thought I thought jasper kind of was muddy, not 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 what word is being used here. This is one of these things that's changed over time. Uh, what the names that we give different jewels at this, at this time when 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 this was written, when you're looking at the Greek, what this is when he uses what they put in here in English is jasper. What, he's not talking about something that's muddy. he's talking about a crystal clear. It really would be better to use the word diamond here versus Jasper because that's really more like what he sees what we're accustomed to now. Now when they read it then they knew exactly what we were talking about. but as time has changed, you really need to think in your mind diamond more than Jasper right now because he note, he notes the brilliant uh, crystal clearness of it that radiates his glory streaming from the city. We're not talking about a light bulb here. Okay. We're talking about a very costly stone. uh, And and really the Greek word here, uh, when you go and look at it, it is L-A-S-P-I-S. And that describes a translucent stone, not a muddy stone. Uh, Like I said, diamond would probably be better for us now in, in modern time. It was crystal clear. It was unblemished. So picture a crystal clear, unblemished diamond, and God's glory just radiating through it. Can you see it? It's interesting because Sherry and I had a weekend at the beach this past weekend as we were coming back, the sun was was shining and she had her engagement ring and I noticed she was over there with that engagement ring letting the sun uh, shine off of it and I thought, well look at that, look at God giving me that image right there. But that what I saw is nothing compared because that's an old fallen sun you know, glistening off a fallen diamond. What he saw was a crystal clear, perfect costly stone that you couldn't even put a value on it and God's unconfined glory radiating through it. I can't even imagine what that looks like. You know why? Because I'm in my fallen state. I can't even comprehend that. But John's trying his best, and so I appreciate him trying to help us with this as best he can. So if you want to just get a picture, I want you to picture this, the New Jerusalem. This is some C student Calhoun County stuff, but I want you to picture it because it's still pretty good. Picture a city, but picture it that the city itself is a huge, flawless diamond, and it's refracting the brilliance of, of, of just of the glory of God throughout the new heaven and the new earth. Can you imagine what that would look like? So now we're going to talk about the exterior design in verses twelve through where we're going to end today, twenty-one. Okay, so let's look at twelve. So the next thing that John is going to describe to us is, is how it looked on the outside. It had a great high wall. Interesting. A lot of negativity about walls, but apparently the the New Jerusalem has one. So uh, so here we go. The New Jerusalem has a great wall uh, with 12 gates, and, and, the, and, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and, and on the east, three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were found the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. How cool is this? Now, let's talk a little bit. Now, I probably shouldn't drop this right now and make you think about this for a week, but I'm going to, okay? If we are in the new heaven and the new earth, and this is the capital city, and we're all redeemed. What's up with the walls? What's up with the gates? Y'all got a week to think about that, because we're not going to get to that today. Okay? But we will talk about that before we're done with 21. Take that little pearl and and, and and think on that for a while. And by the way, the gates are pearls. We'll get to that. All right. So, So human language really falls short here. And, and, and John's grasping with all he can um, because what what's actually being said here um, blows our minds. But I want us to understand, I don't want you to get caught up that what John's doing right now is just symbolic. I don't want you to get there. He's going to be struggling to try to give us some words that we can grasp. It is unique. And it is unimaginable, but it is, it is an actual material creation. Okay. So don't go off and leave and think, well, this, there's, this is not a, a real, it's not a real city. It is a city. It is unique. It is unimaginable, but it is a city that's important. Okay. And, and, and if you don't believe that they're about to get real specific about the dynamics of it. So, uh, John does give us detail um, and, and, and why do you think that God would want John to have these details to now pass along to us in 2023 sitting in the Bible study to give us hope, to excite us? Have you ever – let me ask all of you this. I know I do it. My My wife loves to go to the beach, as you know. And usually once a year, but it might not be that. It might be going to France like we did this past year. It might be wherever we're going. I let her plan where we're going. I couldn't care less where we go. I just go wherever she wants to go because when I get there, I'm like, well, once again, you picked a good one. But I have no opinion on this. Where are we going? I just want to be where you are. Uh, But what's the first thing I do when she said, hey, I booked her stuff? What's the first thing I do? Look at pictures. I want to get a look at it. Now, I'm not there yet. And I'm not really going to grasp exactly what it's like, but I want to get an idea of where I'm going. And you know what it usually does? I start getting excited. Oh, wow. So that's our room? Yeah. Wow, we we can see the water. And there'll be some pictures of the chairs out there on the deck looking at the water. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. And what does it do? I start anticipating it, man. I'm getting kind of fired up about this vacation. That's exactly what God's doing here. John, I want you to see these things, and I want you to write them down as best you can so that those that are waiting, those that are looking for this day, they'll begin to look forward to it. They'll begin to be excited about it. And when all hell is breaking loose and the world's falling around you, you say, one day I'm going to see the new Jerusalem. One day I'm going to the new heaven, new earth. Somebody says, what is it going to be like? say, well, I can tell you some of it because I was told. And it's going to be unlike anything I've ever seen. Behold, I make all things new. You think that the God of the universe has just said, "You know, I'm limited. What y'all have already seen is about all I can do. I, I I can't really do new. I can't do new creations for you. I can't do new heavens. I can't new earth. I just keep doing the same thing over again. That's all I know how to do." No, we're, he 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 has he has been limited by our sin, but now everything's been made right. And he's about to create something that's never been seen before. Be careful that that disappoints you. I hope it doesn't. Because if it does, you've got an idolatry problem you need to deal with. All right, so so he, he says it has a great high wall. And so, so this is not some nebulous floating. It's very specific, these dimensions. It, it, uh, it has even some limits uh, it, it can it can be entered in and, and 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 you know and left through twelve gates. Why? We'll talk about that. At these gates, twelve angels are stationed. We know that to attend to God's glory and to serve His people. Uh, let's look at the writer of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews. If if you go to, you remember we we've we've gone to this before. But the writer of Hebrews, because I know when I say things like angels are serving the redeemed, uh, look look at. Uh, Right out of the gate chapter one and let's go to verse 14 talking about angels are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who to are, who to are to inherit salvation talk about angels so they're there at the gates they, they're they're there to uh, to serve God's glory and all the redeemed that are there the gates have names I love this 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 kind of stuff just gets me so excited the gates have names. So the gates have the 12 tribes of Israel celebrating God's covenant relationship with Israel. Somebody called the show this week and says, why do we think that God still holds Israel in this special place because of the new covenant? And I said, ever read the Bible? We believe that because that's what the Bible says. Okay, so the, <laughs> it's not up for debate. Okay, now, do, do they get a pass and don't have to be redeemed? No. Uh, you know, all who reject Messiah will will not be there. But the relationship that God and the covenant relationship he has with the Hebrews is unique. And, uh, and, and so that, 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 that is, and he talks about this. Matter of fact, here it is on the New Jerusalem. He still has, has something celebrating the covenant relationship with Israel. There's the 12 tribes of Israel, okay, the people of the promise, the people of the covenant, the people who gave us the scriptures, the people who gave us Messiah, okay, and and, uh, and he has the, these gates, which I kind of like because I've got a little OCD to me. Uh, they're symmetrical, and I'm digging that. Uh, there's order. Okay, there's three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Um, and, and so notice uh, that they are actually arranged the way the tribes of Israel camped around the tabernacle. <laughs> See, I love that kind of stuff. By the way, our, 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 our pastor did an entire study of the tabernacle in Exodus and shows you all it says. If you don't know about the tabernacle, you got to study it because the, all that's in play right here. So the, the, they're even arranged the way the tribes were. But see, what's different now, back when the tabernacle was in play, there was a limit to the access to God. Okay, But now the new city. God is with us. There's nothing between Him and us, okay. But it's still there, uh, showing us uh, the original tabernacle and how that has been fulfilled. So, um, and then um, uh, this is also the way that they, the tribes, set themselves up in the millennial temple. Ezekiel talks about this as well. In Ezekiel 48, time doesn't allow the look there, but if you want to go look at it later, you can. Ezekiel 48 talks about the way these tribes are arranged here too. So and then, and then the wall is anchored by a foundation, twelve foundational stones, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Old covenant, new covenant. There they are. How about that? Does that exciting anybody at all? Okay, all right. So, so the new covenant now is there. The apostles are the foundation of the new covenant. Jerusalem. All right, Ephesians. Let's roll over there. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians. By the way, what do y'all think about doing a full study on Ephesians at some point? It's such a powerful book. Let me get that on our list. We'll just do the whole Bible before we, before Jesus comes back or I'm dead. We'll, I'll do my best. All right, look what Paul says says to the uh, the church at Ephesus. I'm a little concerned about getting through Leviticus, but maybe. All right. So let's let's uh, let's look at 20 in chapter two built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. Now, there it is. So so the New Jerusalem is built on the 12 apostles. Now, no one wants to go there. I don't know who gets number 12 because Judas is out, and then you know you don't know whether his replacement gets in or does that go to Paul. Uh, a lot of people really want it to go to Paul, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, and no one else does either. When we get there, we'll take a look. Um, so, uh, do you think that that'd be awkward, wouldn't it? So, you get to the new Jerusalem, and all you want to know is if Paul's the twelfth one. I just like to have a look. Mm-hmm. Where is it? I'd like to see it. Which where's the twelfth one? Uh, so, but but anyway, what what is all this symbolizing? God's favor on all His redeemed people, both under the old covenant and the new covenant. Everybody in his favor. Isn't that fantastic? But there is something curious that happens next. The angel shows up with a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. What in the world? Is this necessary? Apparently. So here's what happens next. Okay. So, um, so and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold. This is now verse 15. To measure the city and its gates and its walls. So here we go. It, it, here, here comes, uh, here comes the measuring. The city lies four square in length, the same as its width. So keep in mind, it's as long as it is wide. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. We'll talk about that. Its length and width and height are equal. That's important to notice. He also measured its walls. Its wall, one hundred forty-four cubics by human measurement. I love that little throw-in by Paul. I mean by John. Hey, I want you to know, I'm talking human measurements here. You know, John's saying, I don't know if these measurements still stand here, but for y'all to understand it, I'm going to use human measurements. Everybody good with that? And, it, and the angel must have been good with it too. That sounds good. Tell him whatever you got to tell him because he didn't get interrupted or said not to do it that way. Uh, so he says, uh, uh, "He says the angel approves of it. Do you love this line? By human measurements, which is also an angel's measurement. The angel, I don't know if that truly is angel measurements, but I think the angel told John, that's good. I'm good with it. I got no problem with you doing it that way. So if if that's what you want to write, write that. So so now we, we know this. Let's let's talk about that. So we have the 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 twelve foundational stones, and and we know that that this angel now comes out with the measuring rod to measure the city. It's similar to the millennial temple that Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel forty, uh, also the tribulation temple in eleven one. But keep in mind when 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 you see this measurement taking place. Cause the first thing I thought of is why is this necessary? And and you have to remember throughout scripture, every time God decides to give us measurements and to take out these rods and start measuring things, what he is really saying is I want you to know it all belongs to me. Would you like to know how big this thing is and in, in our miles and our feet? So the city is, it's a square Uh, it's length and width it's 1500 miles okay that that's what 12,000 stadia is uh you you have to figure a stadia is about 600 a little over 600 feet so we're talking about that that length and width is 1500 miles that's a big city okay uh the walls are about 1380 miles in each direction okay And, and as i said the length and the width are equal now let's put this in something that we can that we can hang on to. Okay, if we're going north to south, looking at the square, the size of the city, go to Canada and go all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, that's that's a big city. Uh, if you want to go across it, get in Colorado and then go to the Atlantic Ocean. Okay, so so we're talking we're, we're talking large. Okay, this, this is a large city. Um, next, uh, measured the city's walls. And and this some of the measurement going here is not so much we we kind of almost have the height. What he's really trying to tell us here is the thickness of the wall, and it's about seventy two yards thick. Okay, that's that's a substantial wall too. Um, and 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 he remember he's telling us yes, I'm being I'm being real specific because these are human measurements, um, and um, so a yards a yards a foot a foots a foot or the way he did it was a stadium, a cubic, but to us it would be that. So then we get into what it is made of, the wall. The wall was built of jasper. Remember what we said about jasper? While the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, uh, a gate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, um, acarnia, carlinian. The, the seventh is chryso- chrysolite. Uh, the eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. Uh, the tenth uh, is, is, is Chrysopraise or Pros. Uh, the eleventh is, um, I can't say this, just Jacinth. Uh, the twelfth is an amethyst. Uh, so let's walk through those colors a little bit. So we, we see uh, that the wall is made of jasper, uh, just like that diamond that we talked about. Uh, and, and we know that it's translucent. Uh, we know that it's pure gold, uh, but it's a translucent gold. Uh, it must all be clear to radiate the glory of God. Uh, you know, something interesting here is you can see through these walls. So one of the things that must be going on in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new capital city is privacy is not a big deal. Uh, and when you when you go to some of the uh, commentary, if we're in perfection and we're in our glorified body, there's no desire or need for privacy. Why, why do you need it? Well, you wouldn't desire it, so, uh, so it's not there. Uh, the foundation stones of the city's walls uh, are amazing to tell every kind of precious stone. Uh, the names have changed a little over time, uh, but I think we can get the colors anyway. First of all, eight of the stones, if you look at why would these stones be picked, eight of the 12 uh, we'll find mounted uh, on the high priest's breastplate. So a lot of these represent the high priest. And who's the ultimate high priest? Of course, that's Christ. Uh, You'll find that in Exodus 28, 17 through 20. You'll see these same jewels. Also in Exodus 39, 10 through 13. So first was jasper. We talked about that. Uh, The second is sapphire. That's kind of a blue stone. The agate, or however you say this, A-G-A-T-E, sky blue, emerald we know. That's bright green. Onyx is kind of red with white stripes on it. Uh, Sardius is, is kind of a quartz stone, uh, various shades of red. Uh, the seventh one, which is, which is um, uh, chrysolite or chrysolite, it's a transparent gold, kind of has a yellow hue. Burl, it has various colors, but usually green, yellow, or blue, one of those, if not a combination of those. Topaz is yellow-green. Uh, the Chrysopras or prace, uh, that's gold-tinted uh, green stone. Uh, And then J-A-C-I-N-T-H is kind of a blue-violet. That's the 11th stone. And then the amethyst is is purple. That's the 12th, you know, for royalty. So I want you to imagine you've got this wall that is translucent. It's kind of a diamond with a gold tint. And then all these stones are within the wall. And I want you to imagine the glory of God and the spectrum of colors that blow through there. Can you imagine that? I mean, that would blow our minds. The next thing that catches John's eye is the 12 gates. No, notice, notice what he says yet uh, next. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, And the streets of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Now, the streets of gold, I don't know about y'all, I've been hearing that ever since I was a little boy and all all these great gospel songs uh, talking about walking on streets of gold. So he catches these 12 gates, which we've already mentioned, but he notices that they're 12 pearls. Now, you got to go to John's time and John, who of course is is spent a lot of his life as a fisherman with his brother and with Peter. And in this time, pearls are of, of great value now, but boy, in that day, when when John sees Pearl, he he can't even imagine this much pearl and the value of it, because the value of pearls then was unbelievable. And and, the, and these they were highly priced and of great value in John's day. But these were like no pearl he had ever seen or any pearl produced by an oyster. He said, because each one of the gates was a single gigantic pearl 1,400 miles high. I'm going to say that again. A giant pearl 1,400 miles high. Now I want you to think about that. So why would it be pearl? Well, that you know, when you get into commentaries and people ask me about commentaries all the time, um, one of my favorites is John Phillips. Um, let me tell you why I, I, I also think that this is it, I, I feel kind of um, affirmed in, in the John Phillips uh, commentaries is when I read other people's commentaries who are also one incredible men of God, it's, it's almost without exception, they all will reference John Phillips in their own commentaries. So that's usually a good sign uh, that he's very well respected within the church. And, and he's explaining a beautiful spiritual truth here when John sees that the gates are pearl. And he says this. It's beautiful. This is from John Phillips. How appropriate. All other precious gems are metals or stones, but a pearl is a gem formed within the oyster, the only one formed by living flesh. The humble oyster receives an irritation or wound, and around the offending article that has penetrated and hurt it, the oyster builds a pearl. The pearl, we might say, is the answer of the oyster to that which injured it. The glory land is God's answer in Christ. To wicked men who crucified heaven's beloved and put him to open shame, how like God it is to make the gates of the new Jerusalem of pearl. The saints, as they come and go, will be forever reminded as they pass the gates of glory that access to God's home is only because of Calvary. Think of the size of those gates. Think of the supernatural pearls from which they are made. What gigantic suffering is symbolized by those gates of pearl. Throughout the endless ages, we shall be reminded by those pearly gates of the immensity of the sufferings of Christ. Those pearls hung eternally at the access routes to glory will remind us forever of the one who hung upon a tree and whose answer to those who injured him was to invite them to share in his home. Ooh, no wonder they reverence John Phillips. So what a beautiful picture. The way pearls are made is through an injury. And and, and here is God with the access to his glory, us forever reminded that he suffered for us to be there. And uh, and when you think of that, you, you, you think why, uh, of why Scripture is, is so adamant about making sure that we don't take the mercy and the grace that was provided through the suffering of Christ to take it so lightly. As, uh, as, as, as Paul taught us, and I've referenced many times here in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and 10, I know that the only thing good about me is the grace that I've been shown by Christ, but I will never live a life looking at that cross that I persecuted, Paul talking. I'll never, and this is no attempt, I get so sick and tired Of every time you try to talk about obedience and every time you try to talk about sanctification and every time you try to talk about holiness, somebody jumps up and says you're being legalistic. There's nothing legalistic about obedience. There's nothing legalistic about holiness. There's nothing legalistic about sanctification. They are all demanded by Christ. He justified us. We can't justify ourselves. We will be glorified by him. But the sanctification is called in Scripture the process of working out our salvation. We are told to take action when it comes to our sanctification over and over and over again. For what reason? To worship and say thank you for the grace and mercy and for redeeming me when I could not redeem myself. And it's so important that apparently in the new Jerusalem we are reminded of it for eternity. So why don't we go ahead and be reminded of it again today? We're not there yet, but we can certainly start our thank you now because maybe you can at least, and I can at least muster a thank you for the fact that we are going there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for coming to us and redeeming us because we could not redeem ourselves. I am so sorry for the times that I have taken the grace that cost you so much and treated it with so disregard. Forgive me for that, Lord. And the thing that is so incredible about you, even when we shame you, even when we embarrass you, even when we act as if we don't know you, when we sincerely say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, you say, okay. We repent today, Lord, of of any sin that we've committed against you. We repent of all sin. We leave our own authority. We leave our self-worship. We deny ourselves and we pick up our cross. And we say, transform us. And thank you for saving us. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.